Hi, George Lavender here. Just a reminder that if you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and clicking on the big donate button. And if you haven't done so already, you can also rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks a lot. Here's the show. This week on Making Contact... Many people will tell you now we can't have a fossil-free future without nuclear power. That's just not true. If we could quickly realize the end of nuclear power, that will kick in energy efficiency and conservation. In Germany, we think of three things. This is energy saving, energy efficiency, and renewable energies. Only when we use all three of them, we will be successful. Women Rising Radio returned to Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, a major nuclear facility near San Francisco, California, for part two of our series on global anti-nuclear organizers. Standing outside the lab's locked gates, protesters called for a phase-out of nuclear energy. We spoke with Mayumi Oda, a renowned Japanese artist and longtime anti-nuclear activist who uses her art to promote peace and safe energy. My name is Mayumi Oda. I'm a painter, and mostly I painted the goddesses. Hope the feminine will rise. I just finished the book called Sarasvati's Gift. Sarasvati being a goddess of creativity. And in 1992, she ordered me to do anti-nuclear work. And I made the NGO foundation with Claire Greenfelder, who was a, a nuclear campaign manager in Greenpeace. Inochi means life force. Mayumi's co-founder of Inochi, Claire Greensfelder, is a longtime U.S. environmental and peace activist. Claire directed the Nuclear Free Future campaign for Greenpeace and now works on the Global Women's Call for Climate Justice. Inochi, our Japanese-U.S. environmental and peace group, Inochi means life force in Japanese, as Mayumi probably said incredible artist and visionary. Uh, one of our landmark publications is called the Safe Energy Handbook. We have a, a drawing that we distribute, which we call the two-headed monster of poison fire. It shows you how everything from uranium mining to fuel enrichment to nuclear processing leads to two different results, but they both have the same legacy, which is contamination, health impacts, unbearable potential danger. I first became concerned about nuclear power over the fight for Diablo Canyon back in the 70s. There was a statewide ballot initiative here, yes or no, to continue to develop nuclear power in California. And as I read more about it, I got very concerned. It didn't seem necessary to me. I knew that renewable energies, solar, wind was on the rise. I worked in that campaign. We lost the statewide initiative. But the next year, a one- or two-sentence law was put in through the legislature in California, which was no further nuclear plants will be built in California until it is proven safe or until the waste problem is solved. And that was it. <laughs> you know, they, They've never been able to build anymore. So that's how I got involved in all this. And it took me places I never expected to go, working for Greenpeace, 
I loved that job because I could work on nuclear power, nuclear weapons, nuclear waste, and promote renewable energy and make the connectors to climate change all at once. Many people will tell you now we can't have a fossil-free future without nuclear power. That's just not true for a couple reasons. One, uh, nuclear power requires fossil fuels for the construction and the extraction of uranium. Number two, um, the assumptions that we have to have nuclear power because we won't have enough energy otherwise is just completely false. We have studies that were done by the U.S. Department of Energy that showed in the early 90s that all U.S. electricity needs could be met from wind energy in a dozen Midwestern states. The issue there isn't if the energy's there, the issue is delivery. How do you transport that energy? Every argument leads towards decentralization, towards powering down, towards sustainable livelihoods. We're 4% of the global population. We're creating 25% of the greenhouse gases just under China. We're way out of proportion to our numbers. And yet we haven't asked our people to conserve the way they should. Conservation is absolutely essential, especially by developed countries. You look at Japan, how has it survived after the Fukushima accident with power plants shut? You get lazy when you don't feel you have to conserve. Eileen Miyoko-Smith is the director of Green Action Japan, a group working to create a nuclear-free and sustainable energy model since the 1980s. Eileen says the Fukushima disaster forced Japan to see the crucial value of conserving energy. Power consumption in Japan declined by 12% between 2010 and 2015. So we did a really good job of efficiency and conservation. So much so that 40% of the electricity that was produced pre-Fukushima has been displaced, meaning we don't even need that electricity anymore because we have better conservation and efficiency. Right now, we have a situation where 56% of the electricity that we were producing before isn't even needed anymore. And then over this last year, the renewables have produced 14% of the electricity that nuclear power used to produce pre-Fukushima. And that's the important message that I think Japan has produced since Fukushima. And it's not even known in Japan. What I just said right now, even the anti-nuclear movement doesn't really realize, hey, we've just displaced nuclear power. Japan's shutdown of its nuclear reactors and its new reliance on energy conservation came in response to the massive public outcry for an end to nuclear energy. Eileen Miyoko-Smith says that Japanese public opinion has historically been against nuclear power plants. I had been involved with the anti-nuclear movement in Japan since the early 1980s. And the story isn't relayed that much, is that there were citizens all over Japan, from the northern most island to the southern one. These are fisher folk, farmers, local citizens, people in Tokyo, unions, they were all fighting to stop siting of nuclear power plants, or if they got built, opposing them and working to shut them down. Had that fight not occurred, we would have been like France, maybe dependent on 80% of our electricity on nuclear. But instead, uh, we were only dependent on nuclear power for a third of our electricity. 
So that citizen movement that had been happening over those decades bailed Japan out when that Fukushima accident shut down all the reactors in Japan. All during these years, the 80s, 90s, working to stop nuclear power in Japan, we all knew we were kind of heading for disaster. Japan was earthquake prone. We were all worried. The Fukushima disaster is a criminal case. Uh, What happened before Fukushima is that the Japanese government deliberately chose the tsunami estimate that was made by the Japanese Society of Civil Engineers and rejected the tsunami estimate that was given by the Earthquake and Tsunami Expert Academic Committee, which predicted a much higher tsunami. So this was a deliberate choice, saying commerce, industry is more important than people. TEPCO was told before 311 that a much larger tsunami could engulf their plant, and they didn't do anything about it. And there are many, many lawsuits now started by Fukushima victims. So many lawsuits, I, I cannot keep track. All basically saying the government or TEPCO is responsible. It's an uphill battle to win that, to find them legally responsible and to jail them. So here's this huge crime committed, and nobody's even spent a day in detention. And it's just so unjust, this huge injustice that you made to just feel like this is normal or something, and it's not. The Japanese government is absolutely intent on things being back to normal by the Olympics 2020. They want everybody back in Fukushima. They don't want any evacuees. They want all the evacuees to disappear. And there's deliberate ways where they do it. First of all, you get money if you go back. And there are certain areas right near the plant where forever people cannot live. But there are other areas that are slated for lifting of evacuation because 20 millisieverts a year exposure, anything that's under, they're saying you should be able to live there. Well, the standard is 120th for everybody else living in Japan. That standard is designed for how to deal with a nuclear disaster. It's not designed for permanent residents. So it's completely unjust, and it's a human rights issue, and we need to address it. God Bless You, 2011, by Hiromi Kawakami. The bear invited me to go for a walk to the river, about 20 minutes away. I had taken that road once before in the early spring to see the snipes, but then I had worn protective clothing. Now it was hot, and for the first time since the incident, I would be clad in normal clothes that exposed the skin. I took special care to avoid too much radiation for the first half of this year, so my total amount of accumulated radiation indicates I can still afford some exposure, and the System for Prediction of Environmental Dose Information predicts we won't have a lot of wind in this region. At last, we reached the river. I had expected to find no one there. 
Before the incident, this had been a lively place where people swam and fished and families brought their children. Now, however, there were no children left anywhere in the area. I set down my bag and started mopping my face with a towel. The bear's tongue was hanging out and he was panting slightly. That was an excerpt of a story by Hiromi Kawakami, and you're listening to Making Contact. This Women's Desk edition was produced by the Women Rising Radio Project. Visit us at womenrisingradio.com and at radioproject.org. One of the really irresponsible ways nuclear power is run, I mean, this is in the U.S. uh, with the Price-Anderson Act, limiting liability uh, of utilities in the event of a serious accident. Same with Japan. There's the same cap. The cap was increased some years ago, but we've gone astronomically higher than that with the cost of the Fukushima disaster. And so the taxpayer and the consumer is having to bail out TEPCO. Right now, new incoming producers, so people doing solar, wind, they have to add a cost to their electricity to help pay for the Fukushima accident. We are all being forced to bail them out. And the nuclear waste issue is a phenomenally huge issue. If the nuclear waste problem is such a huge problem, we should stop creating more. Hello? In other words, don't restart plants and make the problem worse. Poll after poll shows that a big majority of Japanese public want to phase out nuclear power. A big majority want to have no restarts of nuclear power plants at all. A Nikkei poll earlier this year said that 60% of the Japanese public did not want restarts. The numbers are creeping up rather than creeping down. That's significant. Opposition to the use of nuclear energy and fossil fuels is growing in many industrialized countries, but indigenous people have long warned about the risks to the Earth's ecosystem and to health and safety. Claire Greensfelder is an ally in their struggle to keep nuclear and fossil energy in the ground. The other thing that is, to me, inexcusable about nuclear development, from uranium mining to nuclear testing to nuclear waste storage, the indigenous and rural peoples of the world have been disproportionately impacted in such a way that it's essentially genocide. And when you think about the uranium miners in the American Southwest, Navajo and Pueblo people mostly, were not told of the dangers of radioactivity. They were mining without protection. The uranium dust would blow across the Southwest landscape. It's a crime one of the largest nuclear accidents in the U.S., the second largest ever, which is never gets any publicity, was in Rio Puerco, when a uranium mining tailing pond spilled into the Rio Puerco River in indigenous people's lands. You never hear about it, radiating miles and miles and miles of rivers in the southwest. On the Navajo reservation in the uranium mining area, 1,500% increase in incidence of testicular and ovarian cancer in children. 
at Three Mile Island, 300 to 400% increase in lung cancer in the general population within the plume of the Three Mile Island accident release, 600 to 700% increase in leukemia in the general population within the plume of the Three Mile Island accident release. Never again, Three Mile Island! Claire's work with Greenpeace alerted her to many dangerous incidents at nuclear power facilities that have been kept from public knowledge in order to promote an image of nuclear power as clean and risk-free. Three Mile Island was in 1979. Chernobyl was in 1986. Fukushima was in 2011. We almost lost Detroit, the Enrico Fermi reactor, which almost melted down. Those are just the accidents we know about. Many of the nuclear proponents will tell you that they now can build inherently safe reactors. There's no such thing as an inherently safe reactor. They're programmed by human beings. There's 50,000 barrels of radioactive waste buried outside the San Francisco Bay at the Farallon Islands that were put there in the 50s. And at one point, some of the barrels were floating And so to make them sink, they shot holes in them. It's always human error. It's only a matter of time. I mean, there have been so many near misses. This is the 21st century. We have the ability to move forward in the most positive way possible, to create a planet of sustainability and liberation from fear of radioactivity and from climate change, runaway to weather disasters and desertification and dislocation. We have the possibility to do that. And I'm really happy to say that women from all over the world are looking at these connections. Last year, I worked with 24 different women's organizations to launch a new campaign called the Women's Global Call for Climate Justice. And over 15,000 women have signed the Women's Global Call. Women work well together. We're democratic. We can work locally. So moving away from dangerous, centralized energy solutions to decentralized community democratic solutions fits beautifully with the way that women organize in their local communities. One of Germany's most influential women in the fight against nuclear power is Ursula Sladek, a mother of five. When radioactive fallout from the Chernobyl disaster reached Germany, Ursula and other parents began organizing to take over their town's energy grid and keep it nuclear-free. Before Chernobyl, I was not politically engaged. 26th of April 1986 was a Saturday, and we were together with friends on a short trip to France. The sun was shining bright, and we had a wonderful feeling of spring. I think it was three days later when we heard what had happened in White Russia terrible catastrophe. Our children had to stay inside for quite a time. People did not eat their vegetables from their own garden, but they threw it away and ate tinned vegetables instead of fresh. People were very alarmed as the radioactive fallout spread all over Europe. Still today, in our region, wild boar and mushrooms from the forest can be polluted seriously so that one should not eat them. 
I was sure that the politicians and the power suppliers would now shut down the uh, nuclear power plants, but nothing happened. So this was the start of our engagement. My husband and me and some other people from Schönau launched a parents' initiative when we saw that neither the politicians nor the energy supplier would change anything. Parents were those who were most upset. And they were eager to do something to protect their children in the future. And yes, it's about the children and their children and their grandchildren and so on. And not only in Schönau, but over the whole world that we want to abolish nuclear energy. And that's why we began with a parents' initiative. At the beginning, we learned that energy waste is one of the most severe problems at that time, 1986, but still today. So we decided to start with activities with energy saving. As we want to do it in Germany, we think of three things. This is energy saving, energy efficiency, and renewable energies. Only when we use all three of them, we will be successful. Schönau's regional corporate energy provider did not like Ursula's approach to energy use. It was there to make money and to sell as much energy as possible. The town's politicians weren't buying her plan either. The Schönau Bürgermeister, the mayor, considered us to be crazy as we told him that we wanted to be the new grid operator and power supplier. So it was not astonishing that the town council decided against us. But we did not capitulate. We started a referendum, which we won. The Schönau people really trusted in us. And they were eager to get an environmentally friendly energy supply. And the money to buy the grid really came in easily. We were astonished ourselves. There were so many people who wanted to support our project. This was really a great, great success. And the media said this is a success of uh, David against Goliath. They called us the electricity rebels. Ursula received the Goldman Environmental Prize and Germany's highest environmental award for creating the Schernow Energy Company, which now provides more than 135,000 homes in Germany with clean energy. The company also supports the shutdown of an aging French nuclear reactor and has joined the resistance to the Hinkley Point reactor in the UK. I really had a central role in founding uh, the Schönau company together with my husband and three other people. I tell you a little bit about our company. It is a cooperative with 
at the moment more than 5,000 members. They gave us about 40 million euro so that we can invest in renewable energies, electricity, gas, and heating grids, and so on. And the members get an annual rate of return, which is at the moment 3.5%. This is really not so bad because you get absolutely no return for your money on your savings account. Some of the members gave us a very high amount, up to 200,000 euro. Others, the minimum of 500 euro. But however high their interest is, they have all the same, the voting rights. There's one head, one vote. This is the principle of a cooperative and really most democratic. Energy supply is so important. We think that it should not be in the hands of people who only think of how to gain the highest amount of money. The large power companies create the best conditions for earning much money. They do not really think of the environment and the people. In small structures, the winnings do not disappear in international companies, but stay in the community help to finance schools and kindergartens, town halls, streets and whatsoever. And that is why we think decentralizing also the structures, not only the production, is very, very important. If you want to get rid of the dangerous nuclear power and its waste for a million years and fossil energy, which damages our climate. These power plants, nuclear and fossil, are centralized. Renewable energies, wind, water, solar, and so on, are decentralized energies. Never again Chernobyl! Never again Chernobyl! Never again Chernobyl! Eileen Miyoko-Smith agrees with Ursula that the Earth's energy future is about local community control and including the voices of women in those communities to ensure safe energy options. Right now, we have been able to stop all the restarts of nuclear power in Japan. And if we could quickly realize the end of nuclear power, that will kick in more energy efficiency and conservation. And that's really important for communities because you can do it in your communities, keep the money in your communities. It empowers communities. If we do that, then we are leaving a much better future for our children. And the very root of it, the very core start of it, is that women speak up and local people speak up.
that's it for this Women's Desk edition of Making Contact, produced by Women Rising Radio. This concludes our two-part series on anti-nuclear abolitionists. Special thanks to Claire Greensfelder, Jackie Cabasso, Tara Durabji, Sylvia Kratzer, Cecilia Merck, SWR Fanzian in Germany, Green Action Japan, Nico Scolieri, Hiromi Kawakami, and to the musicians of the Nagasaki Memorial Protest. Women Rising Radio's producer is Lynn Feinerman, audio engineer Jackie Sojiko, and I'm your host, Sandina Robbins. Thanks for listening. Don't make a nuclear product! Don't make nuclear products! Don't make nuclear products! Don't make nuclear products!